Hey, listeners of the Bio Report, I want to tell you about a new member benefit from the California Technology Council. CTC has teamed with Reprovada to offer members six months of Reprovada's COT Network service for free, which gives companies the power of a VPN at a fraction of the cost. A remote, flexible workforce is the new normal, but most corporate networks aren't built to accommodate work from home at scale. Reprovada's COT Network offers an easily deployable, affordable, and scalable solution to securely enable remote workers and protect the corporate network. To learn more about this and other member benefits, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Last month, Canadian regulators provided clearance for Apili Therapeutics to begin a phase two study of an approved antiviral therapy as a potential preventative treatment against COVID-19 outbreaks. The study will enroll 760 participants who are in long-term care facilities in Ontario. Though others are looking at the drug as a possible treatment for COVID-19, this is the first study to consider its potential to prevent outbreaks. We spoke to Armin Balboni, CEO of Apili, about the drug, how it works, and its potential to prevent outbreaks of COVID-19 in high-risk populations. Armin, thanks for joining us. Great to, uh, great to be here. Thanks. We're going to talk about Apili, its efforts to repurpose an approved antiviral as a prophylactic treatment against the COVID-19 virus in patients in long-term care facilities in Canada. For people not familiar with the company, what does Apili do? Apili Therapeutics was started um, in 2015 as, an, as, as a company in the anti-infective space to uh, address unmet needs um, in, in, a, in a fairly creative way, uh, we, we really are in the global fight against infection broadly. And so what that means is we are agnostic to uh, a particular technology. We don't suffer from it wasn't invented here, so we don't like it. We really look for the toughest problems in infectious disease and then go and try and find solutions. And so that could be an antibacterial, an antiviral, an antifungal, or vaccines, of which uh, we actually have all of those. So that, that really is a, a little bit of a different approach than many companies do. And you're sponsoring the first clinical trial evaluating Vipavir for the prevention of COVID-19. What is Vipavir? So it, it, the, the drug is a broad spectrum antiviral. And what that means is that it has activity and is active against a wide range of viruses. In this case, there are RNA viruses. So things like influenza, uh, Ebola, where I first uh, had a chance to look at this and a couple of other agents, um, loss of fever, a, a, a disease that's uh, endemic in, in, uh, in Africa, and of course, uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 um, or uh, uh, COVID-19. 
And so it, it is a broad spectrum antiviral. It's approved for influenza in Japan. And we noted that because of that activity, um, it is probably a, a great drug uh, with a lot of safety data to, to try against uh, COVID-19. And that's, in fact, what we're finding. You actually had experience with the drug back when you were a staff officer at the U.S. Army Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. What was your experience with the drug then? Um, I, I was uh, I was at USAMRID and, and actually I was loaned. Uh, I, I'm a, an officer. I've been an officer in the U.S. Army uh, as both an, an MD and a PhD uh, for over 17 years. And and so what that means is I've worked on a number of different anti-infective programs. Um, the, the U.S. Department of Defense uh, sent me to uh, to the Food and Drug Administration in 2014 for the Ebola outbreak. And it was during that Ebola outbreak that I had the opportunity um, to work as part of a, a review team, a clinical reviewer uh, in, in, uh, in the FDA and looked at both remdesivir, a drug that's now being uh, used by Gilead, and uh, favipiravir. Um, so both drugs are broad spectrum antivirals and uh, uh, had, a, had an opportunity to look at how they were working against uh, uh, some RNA viruses, um, including Ebola. You're looking at a, a very specific use of the drug for a, a very specific population. Why is that? What's the need you're hoping to address? So uh, favipiravir has uh, some very unique properties, uh, as, as do many of the antivirals. And so what we did, again, keeping with this theme of, 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 uh, of finding a problem and, and then going after a solution, what we did is we noted, as many people did, that uh, COVID-19, um, which now seems like a long time ago, but of course it was only months ago. Things are moving at rapid speed. Um, but it was very clear uh, to to many of us early on that it was primarily affecting uh, those that were uh, elderly. In fact, in uh, in Canada, 80% of the morbidity and mortality, the death and the and the uh, un, uh, medical effects were noted in um, in the elderly in long-term care. And so what we said is because of some of the properties of the drug, it's an oral tablet versus remdesivir, which is an intravenous drug or an injected drug, which means that you can't give an intravenous drug in the long-term care setting that, that, uh, that effectively sends them to the hospital uh, for treatment. And so we said, well, there's some properties of favipiravir that make it uniquely uh, uh, situated to, to solve a problem with those that are most uh, widely affected um, and greatly affected. And that's really what we did. We looked at the problem, we looked at the drug, and we try and match the properties of the drug to the disease. And in this case, it was it was in the elderly. Um, there was lots of safety data to suggest that we could put it into those folks. Over 3,000 people have, have been um, given the drug in, in its uh, development. Um, and it's an oral dose format. It's a tablet. It's room temperature stable, which means that, it, that it's uh, really amenable for use in the long-term care setting. So unmet need properties of the drug and uh, really just matching those two things together. How did you come to look at this, though, for COVID-19? Were you searching specifically for something to do in COVID-19? Was it something that was just opportunistic? How did it come about? So as I, as I uh, kind of outlined before, I said we have a very diverse pipeline of products. And, and uh, I feel very passionately as does everybody in the company about uh, going after unmet need? In that case, in, in many cases, that those are diseases that nobody else is really going after. And so uh, we we were interested in in, a, in, a, in fungal diseases. It's an area where new drugs are desperately needed. 
and um, uh, from my work in, in the military, I knew that cryptococcal meningitis, a type of invasive fungal infection, was, was particularly uh, deadly. Um, and not a lot of uh, people were going after it because most of the cases occur in the developing world. And so um, we were looking at that program specifically uh, for a drug in, for, for uh, antifungal and a, a company called Fujifilm Toyama Chemical in Japan um, happened to uh, have a, a, an anti, a novel antifungal drug. And so last year we had been discussing with them in uh, acquiring that program, which we did to go after cryptococcal meningitis and, and lo and behold, they also had favipiravir, which I'd worked with before. And so um, we, we were actually looking at favipiravir for, uh, for a different indication, loss of fever, another tropical disease that's un, with an unmet need. And uh, of course, in January, when things flipped to uh, COVID-19, we knew it had some effect. And so um, I'd, I'd like to say it's because we're really smart, but I think we're, we're smart and lucky. Um, and so we were working with, uh, with Fujifilm Toyama Chemical on the novel antifungal. And then uh, uh, it turns out that that relationship broadened to include uh, favipiravir. And now we are the, uh, we are the partner uh, with them in, in this long-term care setting. Uh, the only company, and by the way, that's doing. What is the, the mechanism of action? And is, it, is there something about it that's specific to COVID-19 or is it just a broad acting antiviral? So interestingly, these, these broad spectrum antivirals um, have activity against a number of viruses, but they have a very uh, conserved target. And so what that really means is that, is that uh, in this case, it's an RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. So what that is is a protein um, that, allows, uh, that allows the virus to uh, multiply, to replicate, um, to transcribe its, its, uh, its, its um, genetic material. And these RNA-dependent RNA polymerases are not found in humans, and they're really highly conserved evolutionarily. And so what that means is that uh, you, you tend not to get resistance by this mechanism. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very well-studied target. Um, remdesivir, by the way, also goes after um, our, uh, RDRP, the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. Um, so for all of those reasons, um, it's, it's an intriguing area with lots of uh, very well-developed science um, that, that allows us to understand the mechanism of action. In May, you applied to Health Canada for approval to begin a phase two clinical trial. How will the study work and how big a trial will it be? What are the endpoints? Yeah, so, uh, you know, based on um, uh, submitting to uh, Health Canada for, um, for our, our approval um, in long-term care, um, we leveraged uh, we leveraged uh, some design, uh, clinical trial designs that have been used previously. And I think it's important to understand that, that this, this is a prophylaxis study, post-exposure prophylaxis. And what that means um, is, is that uh, it's a placebo-controlled trial in 16 long-term care settings that uh, basically allows us to evaluate whether favipiravir, when given soon after an outbreak, can help stop the outbreak um, or prevent those residents from going um, to the hospital. So the primary endpoint is control of the outbreak. And that's defined as no new COVID-19 cases in, in, in residents of the long-term care setting. The secondary objectives, of, of course, always include safety, but we're really looking also at rates of infection, disease progression, and fatality rates. And why that's so important um, is because once the, this is where you know, the, the, these long-term care settings are where these folks live, the residents actually live there. 
And so when they get uh, COVID-19, one of the one of the problems is that the hospitalization rate um, and the fatality rate is, is quite high, and they're taken out of their home and sent to the hospital. And, and this is um, a really dangerous um, situation for these folks. And and so really, what we're trying to do is is prevent that from happening. We can do that with with uh, with tablets, um, and and do it in the place that they live. And so um, it really is kind of a it's a two pronged. Um, um, goal. The primary um, objective is to stop the outbreak, and the secondary objective is to uh, stop them from going to the hospital. I imagine this is a, a challenging population in that you've got probably many comorbidities. You've got uh, people that are on other medications simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a drug that's been well studied. What's known about the safety profile to date, and is that a concern given the population? So um, certainly safety is always a concern with any clinical trial, and you always are studying safety. And so the interesting part of this drug is that there's a very large safety database um, showing that the drug is, is well tolerated in humans. More than 3,000 subjects have, have received um, uh, this, this product. Uh, so that is, from, from, this, from a regulatory standpoint, that's really the kind of number that you want to start to see in your safety database. Um, to, to understand what's happening. Importantly, Fujifilm Toyama did a, did a, a, a great job looking at some of those com- comorbidities that you talked about, things like renal failure um, and, uh, and liver failure in older folks and looked for drug-drug interactions, and they didn't note any. Um, what they noted is that because this drug is metabolized by enzymes in the liver, um, that you, you don't want to give this drug to folks with uh, cirrhosis or liver failure. Um, or at least you watch them very carefully. Um, so I think that's certainly one concern and something we've looked at in our trial as a, as a reason not to enroll somebody. Um, and then the other, the other uh, thing about this drug is that there were, um, in animal studies, um, there was some noted um, teratogenicity, meaning that it had some uh, fetal effects. And so uh, they haven't seen that in people, uh, but it certainly is a reason not to give it to pregnant women um, or very young children. And so that's something to think about as well. That was another reason that we designed uh, the trial the way we did. Um, we, we believe that, uh, you know, certainly in the long-term care setting with older adults, um, you're less likely um, uh, to, to see uh, those teratogenicity effects. Um, and they're certainly not uh, having, uh, having children either. So for all of those reasons, we think it's a good fit. Large safety database um, and uh, well-understood uh, adverse events from from the clinical trials that have been run for the indication that it's approved for already. What's been the regulatory attitude in Canada towards COVID nineteen related treatments? Are there efforts to accelerate these? So I, I've been involved in, in my career with the Department of Defense, um, and uh, for the most part, in, in about one hundred and ten clinical trials around the world. Um, everything from uh, HIV vaccine. Uh, to uh, dengue fever vaccine, uh, small molecules, uh, some blood products, uh, really the whole gamut of, of uh, programs and products. Um, I have to say, I have never, never before seen um, a regulatory agency work as closely with us um, as, as Health Canada did for this submission, um, review and subsequent um, no objection letter or approval for us to, to move forward. Um, it, it, is, uh, it has been a, a true public-private partnership um, to move this forward. And uh, the one thing that I heard from the, from the regulators um, is safety, safety, safety. 
And so, you know, that's always a concern of a regulator, but in this case, they really took that to heart and, and tried uh, as best they could to uh, give us guidance, review uh, for safety. And then of course we have the job of now proving that it's efficacious or it works. Um, but uh, fantastic interaction, can't say um, enough positive things about what that's been like. My experience also from colleagues at, at, at other companies running other trials is that the, the US FDA is similarly treating COVID-19 therapeutics um, you know, as, as is Health Canada. They, they really are trying to move the, the ball forward as quickly as possible within the limits of safety. What's the intellectual property landscape around Fapaviravir is this is a Fujifilm Toyoma chemical drug and it's providing you the drug for free, but this is a drug that's now off patent and others are testing generic versions for potential therapeutic potential against COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the, uh, there are uh, the, the composition of matter patent, meaning that kind of the base molecule patent is certainly expired. And so that is that is generic. And, and as you stated, correctly stated, there are other companies looking at generics in different jurisdictions. Uh, there, there are um, some other intellectual, there is some other intellectual property that Fujifilm holds around uh, manufacturing and the specific this, the specific tablets that they that they use and the doses. Um, so there so there is some intellectual property still associated with it. But I think with with generics like this, where the the the, uh, uh, the molecular entity is no longer protected, in in most jurisdictions you end up relying on on a regulatory exclusivity. And so what that means for Canada is uh, uh, that the, the sponsor of a, of a drug, a new chemical entity that's never been approved in that jurisdiction before, which is what Epipiravir is, um, gains uh, what's called data protection. And there's eight years of data protection, which means that a no generic manufacturer can come in and leverage the clinical trials that we're doing now to introduce a generic into Canada. Um, and it, it, that certainly is no guarantee that somebody won't do it, but it certainly is, it disincentivizes um, the generic the generic players from coming in because they they've now lost the ability to um, to to really uh, do, submit a, a similar product without having done all the work themselves, and and so and I think yeah. What's the the timing for the trial, and if successful, might this have broader use as a preventative treatment for COVID nineteen? And are you looking beyond Canada? So we are. We're looking beyond Canada. Um, we we expect to enroll the first residents in the next uh, two to three weeks uh, from long-term care settings. We're working with a fantastic team uh, uh, at, uh, at at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto um, and and a number of other um, uh, groups uh, in, the, in the Greater Toronto area that have experience uh, with these long-term care centers. Uh, they ran, by the way, the the uh, Tamiflu studies. Um, in long-term care, and so they have they have a lot of experience running these kinds of prophylaxis trials in this population, and so we're, we're we are uh, thrilled to be working with them, and, and that's going to happen uh, very quickly. Um, as far as um, you know, looking outside of Canada, we we are uh, continuing to have discussions with other um, with other uh, partners, um, Fujifilm, and and certainly other groups that that want to run trials, especially in the long-term care setting. We've, we've built up some expertise in that area, 
And um, uh, certainly what you want to do is try and get to locations where the virus um, has not yet declined. And so the Northeast in the U.S. is probably not uh, going to have great enrollment. But if you were in Orange County, Los Angeles, for example, right now, or, or Chicago, you'd be seeing an increasing patient census. And so we're continuing to work with, um, with our partners to identify regions and areas where we can uh, further the work that we've started here in Canada. And uh, we're also talking about some other um, treatment trials based on some of the information that's coming back. This is a, a very rapidly evolving area with lots of clinical data coming. Um, uh, so we, we uh, like to think of this as part of a, a global strategy to run the randomized controlled trials necessary to demonstrate whether favipiravir will in fact work um, and, and try to stay away from some of the problems that folks have seen with hydroxychloroquine, for example, where they small studies that were not uh, powered to actually answer a question. Armin Balboni, CEO of Pili Therapeutics. Armin, thanks so much for your time today. Well, thanks so much for listening and uh, great questions. Thanks. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.